So, you thought maybe you were tuning into Stranger Things or Wednesday or The Great British Bake Off, but instead, you got us. <laughs> the joke's on you. The very first Prankadelic with a P. No fooling. Prankadelic April Fool's Day podcast with six tremendous guests. Michael Ball, the Senior Vice President Markets and Strategy at IMM. Amy Berger, Vice President Solutions Specialist at Teslar Software. Jason Tinder, Head of Marketing at Tabapay. Susan Harden, Senior Solution Consultant at Mambu. Keith Riddle, CEO of the Americas for Bankify. And Todd Robertson, Senior Vice President of Business Development at Argo. We'll see how on their toes they are when I come round to toilet paper their collective houses. That is, if they haven't done that to the Bankadelic Bunker first. But without any further ado, let's get this prankin' show on the prankin' road. Yes, I'd like to speak to Keanu Reeves in the Matrix department. I'd like to start a neobank. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo. Some people refer to me as George Santos, the congressman from New York. And speaking of pranks, bad pranks, good pranks, in between, memorable for sure, I would love to hear from our esteemed gathering what the best prank ever played on you was or that you played on someone, whether it was April Fool's Day or otherwise. And let's see, I'll pick on an old friend to go first, Michael Ball. Well, Lou, of course, I'm Michael Ball with IMM, the e-signature company. I'm Senior Vice President of Markets and Strategy there. The best prank that was ever played on me was about six years ago, and it was quite an episode to go through. We had been in a little bit of a prank environment in our company, a lot of little different pranks going around, and I had kind of become the prank meister or the prank master. Wow. And had gotten quite a reputation. So on April 1st, I had been in especially busy mode in the day engulfed in all the activities that go on, finished up my work day, was trying to get out to actually head to the gym, went outside to where my car was parked, and it was gone. <laughs> I really had this overwhelming exasperation. What, 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 where's my car? What's happened? And at the time, our office was located in an area where it would not have been uncommon for the car to have been stolen. Oh, my. I looked all over the parking lot. Maybe did I park somewhere else and I forgot. I went back in the office. It was only a couple of people there. Started asking around, hey, oh, my God, my car is gone. And everyone was like freaking out. And I picked up my phone to dial 911. The police answered. I began to tell them that I needed to report my car being stolen. And about that time, everyone jumped out April Fool's Day. 
they had taken my car, taken my keys off my desk, gone and parked the car around the block on the opposite side of the building so I would never see it. And I have to tell you, those 10 minutes of looking for my car and freaking out about it are memorable to this moment. Wow. So is that why my Toyota Corolla is in your driveway right now? (laughs) (laughs) Amy Berger, welcome back, Amy. Great to have you. Thank you, Lou. Great to be here. Yes, I'm Amy Berger, Tesla Software. And when I think of the best prank, similar situation to Michael, I worked with a group of pranksters years back. And for April Fools, we totally tinfoiled somebody's office top to bottom. And then it was just a series of trying to get back at each other with pranks. And the best one that sticks out is for months, we saved up all the hole punches from the hole punchers in the office. And when one of our coworkers was at lunch and their car was parked right out front, I was the person watching, not the courageous one that did it, but we dumped bags full of little holes through the vents in the air conditioner and then pointed the vents straight out. And we all certainly enjoyed watching when our coworker jumped in their car and started it up and for months continued to find nice little hole punches flying through the air in his car. (laughs) (laughs) So far, this is a very pranky bunch. I don't know. I'm going to Keep looking around behind my back while we're taping here just to make sure I don't get hit by holes or have my car stolen or whatever else you people do when you're pranking. (laughs) Jason Tinder. Hey, how are you? Good. So my name's Jason Tinder. I founded Tinder. (laughs) Just joking. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm the head of marketing for Tavapay. We're an instant payment company that works with banks and fintechs. My April Fool's goes back to the late 90s when I was working for a consumer software company. And I was in the QA department and we had this one software title. It was expert software. We had you know rows and rows of shelves at CompUSA and Computer City when people bought software off the shelves. We were testing this one product. It was a chess game and there was a constant bug that kept on coming up and up and up. And we solved it. We fixed it. Everything was great. We burned it onto this gold Mitsui disk and we FedExed it off because, again, FTP was not viable at that time. And it was in production. And that's when me and a couple of colleagues went to my boss and said, Jose, I'm sorry, but we found the bug again. And you could see his eye twitch. You could see the steam coming out of his ears. <laughs> it was way behind. We were in deep trouble. And we let it simmer for a little bit. And when it looked like he was grabbing something to throw, we were like April Fool's. And it went over pretty well. <laughs> well. Jokes like that better go over well, right? Or you're looking for a job the next week. Yes. Keith Riddle. Thanks, Lou. Yes, this is Keith Riddle. I'm the CEO of the Americas for Bankify, which is an embedded banking solution we provide to financial institutions to serve their small businesses. So I'm going to turn back the way back machine to provide my best prank. And actually, it was a group prank that was pulled on our coach within a baseball team. So when I was far younger, that we participated in a baseball group that was now going to go into high school. And it was our last time playing together as a group. 
And you hit certain points in the season where things become monotonous. So we decided we were going to add a younger coach that we were going to pull a prank on him during a practice session some way. And our first baseman figured out there was a way he was going to do that based upon drills we would do. I'm sure folks have seen these drills where there's pop-ups and things where you have to turn and run toward a spot to catch the ball. So our first baseman, he did that to him first. He throws it. It's very near a fence where we would practice. And he basically caught the ball, but then ran into the fence and acted like he hit his head on that fence and then <laughs> fell down as part of the drill. And the coach was in shock. He's like, oh, my God. And then he just popped up and said, ah, just kidding. Susan Harden. Thanks, Lou, and thanks for having me here. My name's Susan Harden. I'm a senior solution consultant with Mambu. We offer fintech banking software. My story goes back quite a bit. I was working for a company called Ultradata Australia at the time. We had our annual client conference. It fell over April Fool's Day. So the MD decided to have a bit of fun with us. What he did was there was a room full of customers. There was a room full of staff. The MD sort of stood up and introduced this Japanese gentleman who was very stiff and walked up on stage and he said, look, I just wanted to introduce the new owner of Ultradata Australia. He will tell you all about what his plans are for the company. And, I mean, you can imagine... The staff particularly were all looking at each other. The customers were totally confused. He launched in with this very serious Japanese accent all about how he was going to move the headquarters to Tokyo and that he saw great things on the horizon for us all. And just when we were all about to fall off our chair, he said, you know, Never mind, just joking, in an Aussie accent, actually. So it was the broadest <laughs> Aussie accent I'd ever heard. So we all sort of swiped our heads and were very happy after that. But, yeah, I've never been gotten, as they say, as well as he got me that day. Wow. I guess all of you don't know that I'm relocating this podcast to Tokyo as we speak. Konnichiwa. Ai, wakarimasen. And last but certainly not pranked, or not least, Todd Robertson. Uh, thank you, Lou. This is Todd Robertson with Argo, Senior Vice President responsible for business development, working with banks of all sizes across their retail transformation, across their footprint. The best April Fool's joke ever played on me was when I was in the military and I got called down to the first sergeant's office. I went down and saw him and I was turning around to leave his office. And he said, Robertson, get back over here. And I get over to him and he turns me around and he pulls a kick me sticker off my back. But it said, I think I'm smart. And he rode that on me for a long time. And the guys got me pretty good on that. But that was the best time I'd ever gotten stuck with that April Fool's prank. <laughs> Carlozo, what's that sign on your back that says, make me do 100 push-ups now? We'll get on the ground. <laughs> so moving on here, we are in a joking mood, and yet sometimes, and I think all of your shares here indicates this, a joke is a very good thing, or being fooled is a very good thing. And I'm just wondering how you think the financial services industry in 20. 23 has been fooled in a positive sense, sort of getting past the naysayers, the skepticism, the bad headlines. And 
let's see, maybe to start it off, we'll go with you, Jason. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of doom and gloom and predictions of recessions and all sorts of confusion coming into this year. And for us here at Tauke, we've had a different experience. I mean, we primarily work in the realm of instant payments with it being facilitated with banks and merchants like Dave and Ernan and so on. And then working with 14 different banks that kind of operate more in a payments as a service sort of mode module and so on, like Evolve and Stride and so on. We've seen really strong continued growth within instant payments from the card perspective, as well as from accounts with RTP. And we've done a lot of origination with it. So for us, it's you know, a lot of our customers tend to move a lot more money when times are a little bit more uncertain. So we did really well during the pandemic and we're seeing continued growth in our business lines due to the viability and shift towards instant payments. This is Todd. And I think the positive thing that's coming out of, especially the time we're going through now, is that we're realizing how important customer engagement is. And we're realizing how important being able to use data and information to determine retention triggers and be able to determine customer engagement points is important, especially around the customer, what their needs are, and where we need to take things next. And so I think you're going to see a big focus on that as we continue out of this downturn we're in and going into 2024. Hey, Lou, it's Michael. We all had heard the kind of gloom and doom. I think it was characterized as institutions need to batten down the hatches and prepare for a rough and rocky 2023. And our organization and myself, we were concerned that that would get in the way of the important initiatives that are kind of top of mind of most of the institutions. And that's continuing to advance the consumer experience, creating enhanced digital channels to make it easier for their customers to do business with them when and where it's convenient for them. And we've actually seen a resiliency in the institutions that they are kind of bullish on these particular initiatives and endeavors. They realize that if they don't make these investments and move forward, their competitors are. And I think in the current climate, these institutions can't take a chance or a risk of holding back and letting others advance around them because consumers are looking for better, more seamless or frictionless experiences. And those institutions that deliver that are going to win at the end of the day. So we're not seeing people pull back or hold back. We're seeing them continue to forge forward. And I actually think they're to be commended for that. Yes, this is Keith. And I'll follow on to Michael's comments about some of the activity within the financial institutions and probably as amplified within the small business segment, which is where we're focused with our solution. So we're finding the financial institutions are certainly looking at some of the growth within their small and medium business segment, and also very concerned about the competitive aspects and the depth of opportunity in trying to serve those small businesses with a holistic suite of digital experiences that are really designed for them, not the traditional banking aspects, but financial management workflows that help them to get paid faster and make payments and have a holistic view of their cash flow forecasting. So I think that the institutions are becoming bullish on providing those types of offerings to their SMB segment because of the growth 
they have seen because of the talk about recession. And obviously, the pandemic impacted a variety of the small business segments, but they're very positive on the potential growth and the potential opportunity to serve them and have urgency and want to make that investment because of the competitive impact from the non-bank providers as well as larger institutions. So it's been a nice opportunity for us as we've launched within the U.S. and throughout North America in the last year. Fabulous. Yeah, Susan Harden here. I can also attest to that. I mean, living through the pandemic and seeing, I've talked digital transformation with banks for longer than I care to mention. And I feel when the pandemic hit, there was still a little bit caught napping and certain segments were really hit hard and the small business community was one of those. But I feel like now that we've come out of the pandemic and the banks had that real jolt, that we need to start embracing digital faster than we were planning to and maybe think about it across all of our segmentations and one size model doesn't fit all. We're now having a lot of really productive conversations with our customers about how they can fast track digital initiatives and stand up sidecar approaches to more legacy business models to drive more innovation into segments like small business. So that's been really encouraging because I've been waiting a while to see that happen here in the US and I'm really delighted to see it. those conversations now starting to take off. Yes, and this is Amy. I would also echo what has mostly been shared here. I think in 2023, we've had this expectation of recession and we do see a lot of positive feelings in the environment at Tesla. We work with banks across the United States and with our smaller community banks, we're seeing that from a positive perspective, even with interest rates rising, banks are able to stay competitive and increase market share in this type of environment. So being hopeful in this year is something that we're seeing and also continuing to see the institutions that we work with start to feel more confident in this environment. Absolutely. Great answers, everybody. And I will say this as a media person, believe it or not, I will say this is take a break from the headlines every once in a while. In fact, take a nice long break, because if you believe everything that is being screamed at you in 86 point type about the end of the world, you would think it should have happened yesterday and yet business gets done and a lot of great experiences and observations you've shared here now moving along there is this expression i learned some time ago that i really love the shiny new toy and it's usually used in reference to some sort of technological widget or gadget that people just have to have only to discover it's not all that and a bag of chips i think it can also have a more broad meaning. And I'm just wondering from your various perspectives, how you believe people in the industry are being fooled in terms of things that are, let's say, distractions, trends that aren't really trends, things that people are paying way too much attention to when they could be doing something that guarantees success more. Hey, Lou, it's Michael. I'll jump in again first. And this is largely my opinion. I'm not expressing that on behalf of my employer, but I personally have, I don't know, felt that the whole thing around blockchain was a rather large distraction. Everyone that I knew or 
Saul was trying to find a way to make blockchain meaningful or relevant to their particular system. I mean, it's almost like you had to have the blockchain to wash your face in the morning. (laughs) But anyway, I think that blockchain was certainly something that caught a lot of attention. And I don't know about, no offense to anyone on here, if you have a blockchain solution that I'm not aware of, I apologize. But I'm not hearing and seeing a lot of that. And I think there was a lot of resources that were potentially wasted. Not that there aren't areas where blockchain has relevance, but I think it was everyone was trying to get on the Me Too wagon with it. And I think we've also seen crypto is not all that it was cracked up to be. We've certainly seen some stumming of toes along the way there. And I think we need to all just stay focused on the real issues at hand, what the market needs, the products and the services, and try to keep our eyes you know, on those greater prizes. This is Keith, and I'll just follow on to Michael's comments about those things that are tangible and deliver meaningful or impactful opportunity for, in our case, the financial institutions in serving their small business community. I think one of the items as a financial services industry that we certainly attributed a lot of time and effort to was this aspect of big data and data warehouses or data lakes. And those are going to be some sort of a panacea to solve some of the challenges associated with the financial services marketplace. And although data that's consumable and actionable is fantastic, I think there have been organizations now that have refocused their efforts on those types of initiatives. How can I look at real data? that would allow me to understand customer experience or impact of a given workflow or the overall benefit to my client and how it's driving potential revenue for me as a financial services organization versus things that may be two-year projects to encapsulate within a data warehouse or data lake initiative. Not that the data isn't important, but we're seeing a shift at least in our financial institution discussions about making those things actionable and consumable and far more readily available for various use cases. Hey, Lou, it's Jason here. I'm going to throw something out there that may be a little bit controversial, but you know, it could be considered a joke since it's April Fool's. One of the things that I think that is the concern and that's playing as a distraction showing some tricks is the concept that ACH is good enough. My concept of ACH is that it's kind of the equivalent of faxing a check. And I don't know about you guys or the listeners, but fax machines are evil and just need to die and go away. <laughs> A personal experience is my 13-year-old, right? My 13-year-old has a pet sitting business and a lawn business, and he hands me a wad of cash, and I deposit it at the bank, and he wants to invest. So we open a Fidelity account for him, and the poor kid has to wait four days to have those funds, right? And watching him wait to spend money on Roblox or whatever he was going to spend the money on was really painful for him. And there are just easier ways to do it. I think as kids today, like my kids when they were younger, would go up to televisions and think that they moved like iPads, right? And I think that kids and younger generations are going to start viewing payments more as instant experiences. It shouldn't take multiple days, especially if it's a long weekend for an ACH to clear, right? There are so much better options with real-time payments, be it credit card, RTP, and so on. And we recently published a paper with TowerPay on, on debt repayment and how debt repayment can be augmented and improved by adding cards as an option. So I'll go with ACH and stick with it. Yeah, it's Susan here, and I'll jump in on that point. I mean, 
coming to the US, I felt like I went back in time a little bit. I came in 2018 and one of the first things I had to get was a checkbook and checks had sort of largely been eradicated out of the Australian system and it kind of blew my mind how many labourers would turn up to my house and ask for a cheque. And I was thinking, surely a real-time payment is going to make more sense. The funds are immediately available in your account. And it's always blown my mind how the transformation around payments here has taken so long. And I'm really delighted to start to see things like real-time payments taking off. And I couldn't agree more that as we look to the next generations, they are just not going to embrace these paper-based processes and money needs to move instantly. And that's how it's got to be done. So yeah, I agree entirely with the point before ACH and checks and things like that, that just need to go. (laughs) Yeah. This is Amy. I wanted to also chime in. I think one of the things that we see a lot of distractions with or we see in our industry working with community banks is just always going to that next shiny object as you touched on, Lou. Just thinking about implementing multiple pieces of technology rather than looking to digitize a process and automate workflows. I think sometimes there's a distraction if I look to five or six different products I can solve a problem versus really just taking the time to focus on the institution's needs and coming up with and focusing on a single or less solutions, less integrations. Also to that, you know, when banks talk about transforming, I do find it interesting that they talk still about How can we take all of the products and services that we do today and take them to the new world as opposed to thinking, what does the new world? So it just kind of goes to that point of rethinking the entire process in the next generation of bank world. I do find it interesting that it's a distraction that we have to replace everything we have today without necessarily thinking how it should be in the new world. This is Todd again. Some of the things that we're being distracted with is that We don't think we need to engage the customer earlier in the engagement cycle. And what I mean by that is when you're visiting a website or visiting a non-physical location, it's really, really hard to know who that individual is that's trying to engage with us. And I think the ones that are going to set themselves apart are going to be able to identify different individuals that are visiting and be able to be very descriptive about what type of information they're able to collect from that prospect that they can't see, they can't touch, and how much information they can gather from them in order to be able to engage them better going forward and ultimately be able to hopefully win them over to banking with them. But I think that's going to be where we're going to see a lot of focus going forward. How do we be smarter about that earlier engagement? Absolutely. With that, optimism is what's driving this year. It's what drives success in general. And there are a lot of reasons to be optimistic. And maybe those are personal as well as professional. So from whatever angle you all would like to take it, where do you find the cause for optimism right now in your work, the broader FinServe scene, some intersection of light values? that you practice day in and day out, where is the optimism? All right, well, I'll go first. Susan here from Mumbu. My optimism is actually around financial inclusion because I've actually felt firsthand what it's like to be affected 
by turning up into a new place and being labelled credit invisible. I had never even thought about that as being a problem that I'd have to encounter when I moved over to the US, but it was like I'd never owned a home, I'd never existed outside of these shores. I had to get a secure credit card and prove my credit worthiness. It was a heck of a process to have to go through. And as I talk to fintechs now, I think there's a lot of them focused on people like myself, people who are on valid visas moving to the US and trying to solve for those types of problems or looking at second generation of certain communities of folks and thinking about we can't just use traditional approaches, we can't just use the same methods that we've always used in the past and really trying to rethink things like how do we adjudicate someone's ability to repay or whether they're worthy of a loan and not just look at a credit score or something. So there is a lot of innovation going on in that area and that's something that I'm personally very optimistic about and following very closely given my personal circumstance. I'll throw a shrimp on the barbie there, Susan, if you don't mind. (laughs) I'm sorry, I went with the worst Australian stereotype. But it really is about improving financial outcomes for people, right? And like you said, it's about building credit. It's about people not getting caught in debt spirals, right? And people not succumbing to predatory lending and those sorts of things. Some of our biggest use cases are with early and earned wage access providers, right? That provide that extra $200 for an unforeseen emergency that comes up. And I think there's a lot of value in that. And it's preventing some of those downward cycles from occurring. At the end of the day, that's what it's about. And Lou mentioned this earlier about you know community banking and the differences between neobanks and so on. And my thinking on it, working with banks in my previous life, it really is about you know, community banks just focusing on being good in the community and focusing on the community and empowering the community and not necessarily trying to chase the next shiny thing and be a neobank because there's always going to be neobanks. I think the competition and the innovation in the industry is good. And that's one of the things that I'm really optimistic about. Hi, this is Amy. And I think also to kind of build on what Jason has just spoken about, that's where I am very optimistic. I feel like at Tesla, we work with community banks and seeing this community bank space, I feel there's embracing technology and really seeing success in this period of time post-pandemic, really seeing that investment and being able to serve their communities, being that differentiator, that they're in the community and just excited about the opportunities and seeing that they are succeeding despite, you know, just headwinds from a lot of competitive areas. So that's really what I feel optimistic about. This is Todd, and I think we're going to see a carry forward of folks trying to get a right work-life balance and how they interact with life outside of work, but also how we look at work and how fulfilling it's for us and the areas that we're able to influence. And hopefully as we come into this next year, we're going to realize that influence is very important in an in-person setting versus just a working from home. And I think we're going to see a push to have people back together to be in community and be able to work closer with one another as we try to innovate and be able to bring new things to the market. Hey, Lou, it's Michael. I'll jump in. 
you and I've talked about this before. You know that I'm a pretty optimistic and enthusiastic guy in general. Absolutely. But I think a lot of that for me comes from the fact that I really love what I do. Every day I'm motivated because I get to get up and lead a team of amazing professionals who are all surrounding the journey of bringing technology to our customers out there as financial institutions that empower them to build better client experiences for their customers and really make an impact and a difference. And we saw that amplified during the pandemic, which was very rewarding personally. But I think that, you know, it's kind of why I get up every day. I'm excited for the opportunity to be able to make a difference in those around me, the people that work with me, our customers, and to our clients in the market. So I consider myself very fortunate and I'm very grateful to be in the situation that I find myself today. Yellow, yeah, this is Keith, and I'll just add on to Michael's comments. I think that what I'm most optimistic about beyond some of the items that we've talked about in the market is working with an organization that has a commitment and culture of ensuring that the customer, in this case, the small and medium business, is the sole focus point of the organization and doing that in conjunction with the financial institutions. So the information that we glean in interacting directly with the users on behalf of the financial institution and knowing what pain points exist for those SMBs, what they're experiencing in getting paid on time, how we can help them to optimize and leverage a digital experience to address that aspect and bring operational efficiencies into that environment on behalf of the financial institutions. So it's fantastic. We have two stewards in which we serve. It's the SMB certainly in leveraging the functionality, but delivered through that financial institution and being the entry point or point of interaction with the FI and those SMBs and seeing the positive results, it brings optimism along with the commitment and the culture. I think that's what Michael was saying. It's the extension of that culture into what you do and the markets you serve has been an exciting aspect for me and launching in the U.S. marketplace over the last year. Keith, I love that answer. All of your answers really hit home. If you want pessimism in finance, go see Scrooge. You want optimism, you come here to Bankadelic. And that is what gets me going. I'm so optimistic with each episode, really trying to get a message out there about how things get done, where the solutions are, where the cause for hope is, why we can dispel with some of these misconceptions we hear. You're helping me to do that. It's something I love doing, and I am super grateful you all could make the time to be on this April Fool's episode. No fooling, as they say. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lou. Thank you, Lou. Thanks, Lou. Thanks, Lou. Thanks, Lou. And so there it is. Another episode of Bankadelic. Nay, Prankadelic has come to a close. Couldn't have done it without our guests on today's podcast, and here they are. Michael Ball, the Senior Vice President, Markets and Strategy at IMM. Amy Berger, Vice President, Solutions Specialist at Tesla Software. Jason Tinder, Head of Marketing at Tabapay. 
Susan Harden, Senior Solution Consultant at Mambu, Keith Riddle, CEO of the Americas for Bankify, and Todd Robertson, Senior Vice President of Business Development at Argo. Thanks again and again and again to the William Mills Agency for their generous support and our April Fool's Zanies Arena of special episodes, the one and only Catherine Laws. Thanks also to Banker Hire, Lemonade LXP, and today's special sponsor for this podcast, the representative George Santos of New York, who is happy to announce that he will be taking over as the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, was recently named Banker of the Year, and claims in his lineage Alexander Hamilton, the man who founded the Bank of New York, which in turn inspired him to write the smash Broadway musical Hamilton. George, you better be kidding this time. Until next time, this is yours truly, absolutely no fooling, Lou Carlozo, signing off. Bankadelic is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago, and Austin, Texas. <laughs> the joke's on you.